The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and I'm the host for this podcast. My husband, Steve Siegel, is the producer of the podcast. If you have a story you would like to share, please reach out to us, theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star rating. That way, when people are looking for podcasts that talk about help with the subject of addiction, they'll find our podcast. Please also go to our YouTube channel, subscribe, and give a thumbs up to our videos, again, so that people can find us when they're looking for help or messages of hope. Today's episode is episode number 307, and today we are interviewing a gentleman named Robert Cantor. Robert Cantor is the world's most respected international media commentator and recovery advocate addressing the fentanyl epidemic. We've been talking a lot about fentanyl lately. He's an empowering thought leader and public speaker who is recognized as a subject matter expert in the field. His television and radio interviews, podcasts, and articles have been featured in media in the United States, Russia, China, Japan, Israel, Turkey, Spain, Australia, Canada, and Qatar. Mr. Cantor is interviewed often on topics including fentanyl source countries, CDC statistics, legislation, lawsuit settlements, and developments of the DEA, White House, and United Nations. He shares openly in the media about how he and his daughter have recovered from substance use disorder. Let's talk to Robert G. Cantor. Robert G. Cantor. Thank you so much for being willing to speak to us today on the podcast, share your story and your daughter's story, but also a lot more absolutely vital information that everyone out there needs to know. So thank you. Honor and privilege. Thank you so much, Joni. And uh, great to meet your husband uh, oh. briefly right before going on camera. So um, thank you for, so much uh, for the airtime. Thank you. Um so, Robert, take us back. You just a little bit about your history, where you grew up, what, um, and you, and you have your own substance abuse um, situation that you've come through. So, tell us about that. You and your daughter. What happened? Let's see. Well, I'll tell you what. When I was born, I think the doctor looked at me and said, "This guy's going to have some issues." And uh, he, <laughs> he was. I, they, my friends say I have more issues than Scott has tissues. So. Uh, which which is true. But um, real briefly, I grew up in uh, Brownsville, Brooklyn, which was uh, a tough area. So I got beat up a lot. I was sexually molested when I was nine years old. Oh, um, I'm sorry. Thank you. I lost my father at 16 from uh, severe emphysema, never had a relationship with him. And I could go on and on and on. And what I will tell you is in my journey of recovery, I used to, before my journey of recovery, I used to think that I had a victimhood and not a childhood. And I've come to learn that, you know, life is going to do what it's going to do. Sometimes in life, things happen, and that's where the cookie crumbles. And so now how am I going to fix it? You know, with, with a journey of recovery or without professional help, which I do um, seek and have. Um, and so that all happened. And um, when I was in my mid-20s, Joni, I was um, reaching the pinnacle of my substance use disorder and alcohol use disorder. And, um, but I what was, su also what substances besides alcohol, Robert? Cocaine. Okay. Cocaine. Yeah. It was mainly cocaine. Um, more or less whatever you put in front of me, there was, you know, um, just the whole slew, but primarily it was cocaine and tequila. I would say it, it was really my, my cocktail of choice. Wow. Um, 
In my mid-20s, or actually I was 28, I started a business out of my apartment in Houston in the 900 telephone number industry. If you remember the 900 telephone numbers, um, they had a, a reputation of being poor numbers, the 1-900, you know, whatever the vanity number is, and they were poor numbers. And I saw an opportunity and I started out of my apartment and I, it became very large and I started making a lot of money and that also fueled my substance use disorder. Um, and I mentioned this for a reason. I was asked to appear as a guest on the Geraldo show, Geraldo Rivera. And he was interviewing me as the bad guy, as the villain. And I was pitted against mothers whose kids were racking up these bills. And I'm the porn pusher and all that. And I was severely under, under, um, severely under the influence of cocaine. I had been up a day and a half. I couldn't even see the audience. Um, and, I, and I really humiliated myself. And I didn't answer the questions properly. And I only bring that up because of how through my pathway of recovery, I have now, I, I don't show up high on television and when I make an appearance and I'm advocating for families and trying to disseminate information on the fentanyl epidemic. So that was in a lot of ways, coming full circle was in, is a, an important part of my story. Right. I continue to live, I call it the life of the unspeakable, uh, spending time in crack houses, shooting galleries, uh, S&M dungeons. You know, I was told when you share, you know, the shame, you take the power out of it. Um, I lived a life of, uh, I lived a life of the unspeakable. Really, I did things I never thought I would do, yeah. and I thought thoughts I never thought I would think. Mm -hmm. um, and I just arrived at that bottomless pit of despair where I had to make a decision that I want to fix this. You know, did I want to get sober or did I want to get high? What should I want more? You know. Um, they say Did alcohol. something happen to kind of spur that moment on? That's we focus on that a lot in the podcast. Is like, what was your point of no return? For me, it was it was finding out about a twelve step fellowship of recovery, okay. and and not not having any knowledge, which is part of why I like being here, is not having any knowledge of pathways to recovery, and then hearing about this twelve step model, meeting other individuals that had taken this path. That were trying to help me, but they weren't, you know, shoving it down my throat. And I said, all right, let me go to these support group meetings to see what all the fuss is. And that's what I did. I got sober many years. So, I, you know, for me, the pathway to recovery has been a 12-step absence-based fellowship program, as is my daughter. Um, but as I'll talk about, there are many pathways to recovery. That's the key message that I want to get to your audience. And when did you start that 12-step program? How long have you been clean and sober? Uh, I just celebrated 17 years, actually. Wow. Amazing. So thank you. Very thank well you done. So much. Thank yeah. you very much. Appreciate yeah. that. Um, about five years ago, my daughter was uh, locked in a, an apartment with her drug dealing boyfriend using enormous amounts of heroin and killing herself. And I'm convinced, Joni, that had it been today with the prolific fentanyl that I would have gotten that call from the coroner's office absolutely handed out. Yep. And in the past, my wife at the time and I tried to punish the problem away, you know, disown her from the family, you're a failure. And I had read about the Portugal model of harm reduction, where the country of Portugal about 22 years ago had a severe heroin epidemic. And they made a bold, they took a bold move of addressing it out of their criminal justice system and bringing it to their Ministry of Health. And an individual that had, and I think my facts are pretty correct on this, an individual that had less than a 10-day supply of drugs was not arrested, they were given a summons and they were required to appear in front of what was called a dissuasion committee. The committee being a physician, an attorney and a social worker. They worked with them, they gave them what's called harm reduction tools. They came from a place of compassion. You know, they separated the illness from the individual. 
You want treatment, we have the resources for you. You're not ready to get well, we want you to be safe. You know, they had safe injection sites way back before the controversy that we have now. They reversed their epidemics, Joni, by 75%. Okay, it was unbelievable. And that drug policy of Portugal is used and cited many, many times in many different debates and discussions. So I said to my wife at the time, let's take this approach. We convinced our daughter to come to a diner. She showed up very high on heroin, and we told her about this. We said, we, you know, we know you're suffering. You're not a bad person. You know, it's not like you have a flaw in your character. We do love you. You are part of the family. We have your back with boundaries. You need to want to fix this. In every fiber of your body, you have to say, I want to get well. And she left, and my wife and I at the time were crying and and. And an hour later, she shows up with a, a black garbage bag and uh, with all the belongings. She said, okay, drive me to detox. And we drove her to detox. She did a five-day detox in uh, Connecticut. She didn't spin dry. I learned this term, spin dry, which is when someone goes into detox specifically to lower their resistance to drugs so that when they go back in the street to buy drugs, cost them less money to achieve the high that they're looking for. She didn't do that because her friends were doing that. And she went to a 20 day out, a 28 day outpatient program and then sober living home. And now she's thriving. She's working. She's in a relationship. We have these wonderful sober conversations. So this happens. And I said to my, and then I was asked to tell the story at a press conference when legislation was released on the Family Support Services for Addiction Act, which was monies for families who have loved ones suffering from opioid use disorder and substance use disorder and alcohol use disorder, right? Because the people we hurt the most are the people we love the most. That's right. And that set off, that set off a lot of local media coverage. And then I said to myself, you know, I'd, I'd like to make this my vocation. Advocation. I'd like to, this is my calling. This is not about money anymore. You know, I really enjoy being in the camera. I'm a loudmouth guy from Brooklyn. <laughs> Let me carry a message here. So I said, you know, the leading advocates in the country, Tim Ryan, Ryan Hampton, they haven't really done anything internationally. Fentanyl is the single deadliest drug threat our nation has ever encountered. And fentanyl is everywhere from large metropolitan areas to rural America. No community is safe from this poison. Steered Straight, a nonprofit drug education group based in Tennessee, is on a mission to educate students, teachers, parents, and communities on the dangers of fentanyl through their free Fentanyl Fake and Fatal online course. This course was created for middle and high school students as well as teachers and parents. You can find it at www.courses.steeredstraight.org. We must take every opportunity to spread the word to prevent fentanyl-related overdose deaths and poisonings from claiming scores of American lives every day. Once again, that's www.courses.steeredstraight.org for a free course on fentanyl. In his 10 years as a top draft pick and starting center for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Randy Grimes had to play through pain or lose his job. This led to an opioid addiction, and eventually he lost nearly everything. But Randy beat the addiction, then founded Pro Athletes in Recovery, and now details his story in his riveting book, Off Center, a memoir of addiction, recovery, and redemption in professional football, with a foreword by iconic player and coach Mike Ditka. 
We know Randy's story and highly recommend Off Center. It will inspire you to create your own comeback. Available at Amazon and anywhere books are sold. And so I got an interview on, on uh, Canadian national television, and then it was Al Jazeera and uh, TOT World, China Global, Russia Television, and on and on and on. And I also started writing about this. There's actually, um, I framed a, an article I wrote for the Jerusalem Post, um, A Family in Recovery from Substance Use Disorder, which, you know, I look at every day. Um, I wrote an article on the efficacy of 12-step programs for um, the head of addiction psychiatry at Will Cornell Medicine which went into psychology today and so forth and so on. And then that did morph into an interview about a month ago um, on Fox and Friends um, about the DEA event, the Red Ribbon event that they were uh, having. And and that was great. And there was a Newsmax interview. And here I am. You know, I I basically sit at my desk and and sit on my fat ass and work on this stuff all day. (laughs) And I'm glad to do it. And um, well, let me let's segue because so you're clean and sober and your daughter's issue was heroin and she's clean and sober. How did uh, when I was looking at your bio, it's a lot about fentanyl. How did you become aware of it and get, you know, become educated in the situation? How did all that come about? Because of just the proliferation of fentanyl and the amount of media coverage and in my 12 step support groups, hearing the devastation of fentanyl uh. and hearing the stories of parents so what happened was I started doing these interviews. It was about my journey of recovery, Joni. But then I started doing subject matter interviews. I, you know, um, India's culpability in the fentanyl epidemic. And, you know, what are nidazines? You know, they're mixing xylazine with fentanyl. It's called uh, Trank. Um, and, and all the different things that are going on, pre- precursor chemicals, the Purdue Pharma Settlement. I know you had a, a, a gentleman, an interview, which I loved. And so what's happened is, you know, I guess for lack of a better word, my branding has become being interviewed on subject matter in addition to my story of recovery, which is perfectly fine. Right. Um, And every day there is just so much. There's a Nimha is a new injectable um, overdose prevention medication that's stronger than naloxone. And, you Mm. know, and and there's just plenty to to disseminate. And as I was saying to you off camera, the, the, the way you're going to reduce the, reverse a prolific fentanyl epidemic is not through better water security. It's not through access to medication. It's going to be through the media. Consistent daily coverage on this public health emergency. And, and, you know, the thing I like about that is I have said this so many times since 2020, you know, all of the media coverage about COVID, it's all about COVID. It's all about COVID. This pandemic was around way before COVID ever hit, and it will be around way beyond then. But it never gets the kind of media coverage that happened during COVID. And this is a pandemic. It's not an epidemic. It's a pandemic whether it's fentanyl, whether it's heroin overdoses, it is a pandemic. And I completely agree with you. We need as much media coverage as we can get on this subject. Yeah, because everything trickles down. When you have the media coverage, it's top of mind, you know, with the public, they take more action. And the other thing too, is we have the opportunity to reverse stigma in the language we use and in the appearances so that it's not that guy in the alleyway and all of that stuff. It's someone that's suffering from an illness. You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name, or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com or go to our website, 
theaddictionpodcast.com or call us at 727-314-7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. Sometimes the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 866-989-4499 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one hour consultation with Bobby. And, and the dissemination of information, it prompts individuals to be part of recovery communities, grassroots organizations, it prompts legislators to say, hey, we need to take action on that. Um, we're hoping in the recovery space that the 118th Congress will create a House Select Committee specific to the international dimension of this prolific epidemic. And, and so it all, you know, the media coverage, the media pressure is key. It, yeah. To me, that is the thing more than anything. Everything else is very important. Don't get me wrong, but it starts with the consistent media coverage. And look, there are some networks that carry it almost every day. There yeah. are some networks that don't. It's political. It is what it is as a, as a and subject matter. And it shouldn't matter. be political. No, and, but Hello. the problem is it is, but I, know. I will take the, I will take the, the airtime anywhere I can find it. You know, so I love that. I love that you're doing that. And I love Thank that you're you. doing it internationally because this is not an American problem. This is not just a problem in the US. And I think that the more that we can make it an international problem, whether these other countries want to admit it or not, maybe there's synergy there that could, you know, help address it. It's a mankind problem. It's not a it's not a national problem. Yeah. You talk about British Columbia. They they have been devastated by the overdose epidemic devastated and they've you know they have safe injection sites so we can go down that road of talking about safe injection injection site safe injection sites where anyone using substances at those sites there's never been one reported overdose there so they must be doing something right mm. it goes back to stigma it goes yep. back to educating the public and you know that war on drugs you know president nixon made you know did the best he can i don't get political it was a colossal failure you can't punish this problem away. You can't no. do it. You don't, can't incarcerate people. You have to get them help. Yep. And, and it starts through media coverage. Yep. You can't law enforcement your way out of this. We had way early on, we had the sheriff in Pinellas County on, and he said, law, law enforcement is not going to handle this problem. That's not to say that the really bad dealers and the ones who are killing people, a lot of people, yeah, maybe they need to be arrested. But the guy who's just, you know, doing heroin because he's now addicted to it. That's not a law enforcement issue. There's, and I think, and I think education, like what you're doing now, what we try and do with a podcast is, is the biggest thing because education is what's going to help prevent, you know, and people just don't understand it. They don't understand that children are going on Snapchat and decide to try a Xanax. And what they take that looks exactly like a Xanax is pure fentanyl and they die. And this is not, and yes, and yes, they do. This is a game changer. We've never seen anything like this, but That's let's right. not forget. 
you know, we had overprescribing during, you know, the epidemic and the whole Purdue issue right. and, and, right. and the Amerisource Bergen Cardinal Health. So now it's under prescribing. So there's an individual with chronic back pain and his doctor won't prescribe any more Percocet for him. So where is he going? He's yeah. going on the, on the dark web. He's going on social media. He's going on a Snapchat. He's, you know, the, 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 these transactions are, are disguised as emojis. And he's yep. saying, okay, I can get some Percocet. Fantastic. One and done. One and right. done. Yeah. You know, and so it's not just that. It's also weekend warriors. It's these young adults that go to music festivals that say, hey, I'm going to, you know, pop an oxy and, and, you know, what I will say is that, you know, I stay very close to what's happening with the DEA and they are really and, and the Department of Justice and rightfully so they are really issuing very severe punishment for these drug dealers and individuals that think it's just OK to give your friends, you know, three mollies or whatever it is or a line of coke and not understand it's in the news every week. Yep. So, you know, the education piece and parents talking about their kids. And, and then we could talk about this, Joni. We could talk about the Narcan. That's a whole other, you know, controversy. And I, my daughter carries it. Her friends carry it. I carry it. And, you know, you may be called upon once uh, in one day to, to have to do the right well, thing. Well, it saves lives. And even though, you know, I, I could take the tack and say, well, but we shouldn't need Narcan because it's just for people who are overdosing. Okay. But guess what? We have an addiction pandemic in this country. And if you can save a life, then you should do it, you know? Individuals didn't want to not have to go to restaurants, but under a pandemic, they understood you can't go to restaurants. Yeah. You know, people don't understand this is a public health emergency. When you lose, let's say it was 500,000 individuals to COVID, and you lost 106,000 plus to um, the overdose epidemic, okay, it's not 500,000, but it's in the conversation. It's oh, in yeah. the conversation, and it's a scary conversation. People yep. need to know about that. They need yep. to understand the severity, and maybe they, if they did, they would lighten up a little, you know, what do they say, NIMBY, not in my backyard, you know, whether it's a safe injection site or whether it's because your doctor didn't prescribe the medication to my kid. I don't want him carrying this Narcan. Education. It, it is. I agree with you because I think that, you know, okay, there is a large percentage of families out there whose children will not turn to drugs and they will not get involved in drugs, but every parent needs to know about it. And every parent needs to educate their children about it and say, listen, I, I know you're smart. I know you're going to make the right choice, but it's just too easy to go, well, I just want to try a Xanax. It's not going to hurt me. I'm only 14 years old. It's not going to hurt me, but you don't know what's in that Xanax. And it's like Russian roulette. And in the same way, you're not going to go off and take a, dr a gun with one bullet and spin the cartridge. Don't do it because you don't know what's in that Xanax that you got from some person on Snapchat. You don't know. Yeah, and the problem also is that our generation, this this didn't exist, the, no. the, the potency of fentanyl. So yep. we don't really sometimes make the connection. You know, oh, we did some partying in college, or we did coke, or we did quaaludes, or we did whatever. This is a whole different ball. Yeah, game. because this we is, knew that's what it was. That's what know? it was. This yeah. is a whole... and. You know, your kid may not do drugs, but I guarantee you if they're in college, they know someone that has overdosed or has a drug issue, has a, a substance use disorder issue or an alcohol use disorder issue. I guarantee that, you know, yep. this is the touches pretty much everybody. 
That's exactly right. And that's why I say everybody has to do something about it. And that's why we do this podcast. No, my children are not addicted. They never were. And And my grandchildren are on the road to not being addicted. They go to private school. They're not around it. But you know what? That doesn't mean it has nothing to do with me. I still live with everybody else around me. And if, if it's affecting you, Robert, it's affecting me, whether I know you or not, you know? I think that's, that's, more, that's really commendable that you and your husband don't have direct connections to substance use disorder in your family or your children, but you're still passionate about it. I yeah. think that's fantastic. I think if we had that, we'd be really, we'd be good to go. You know, and that that's a great thing to strive for. And all of this in addressing the stigma, like the stigma is a really big issue. They say stigma is the absence of compassion. If you just can understand that the individuals are suffering, yep. you know, this is not they're suffering and to try to keep that in mind and they need to fix it. Yep. All right. You need to set boundaries, but they are suffering. And, yep. and that's a key piece of it. And it's such a fine line between enabling and actually helping. And I think that a lot of families have to have to work that out and come through that. And But there are so many resources out there for people. And that's another reason why we like to talk to individuals such as yourself, because there are resources out there. And, and I think oftentimes when a, a family finds that they have an addict in the family, they feel so alone and they, they want to hide it and they don't know what to do and they just need to reach out. And that's sometimes the hardest thing. Well, you just, you just stole my thunder because that's exactly what I was going to get to next, Joni. You're allowed to, you're the host, so you can feel all the thunder you want. (laughs) The the main message I wanted to bring here, because I'm really not promoting anything, but the main message was that there are multiple pathways to recovery. There's individuals, even if there's one that's suffering right now, they, they, are watching or they're listening. The message is, you know, we understand that you're suffering. You have to want to fix this. I can't say that because I can do it, you can do it. I don't believe that. I do me, you do you. But I can guarantee, as you just so eloquently said, there is an immense amount of help out there if you're willing to dig down deep and make that decision. Now, there are different pathways to recovery. So I subscribe to a 12-step absence-based model of recovery. It's worked for me for over 17 years, as is my daughter. It's not one size fits all. So perhaps you, 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 it doesn't work for you. Look, there have been people that have been traumatized by growing up with their religion. They won't step foot in a church. There's nothing to do with, with not wanting to, find, to, to follow the, the, uh, the tenets of the program. Th- that just won't work for them. All right, what about medication-assisted treatment, right? Buprenorphine, maybe that works for you. Maybe it's counseling. Maybe it's behavioral therapy. Maybe it's, maybe it's going back to your faith and working with your rabbi, working with your priest. Generally, it can be a combination of those. Yep. But my message, we have you know, many slogans in our 12-step fellowship, and I'll only leave one, which is replace the fear with the faith. Not a religious faith, but meaning that if you make this decision and you seek out this help, Good things can, can come to pass in your life. Just because you're suffering now and, you know, you know, the cookie has crumbled the wrong way, it doesn't mean that good things can't come. It's a fact that the help is out there in many different forms. And if someone is watching and suffering, the fact that they're just watching and listening is a step in their recovery. That's right. That's exactly so. right. And they have to have faith in something. And we're not dictating what that faith is, but they have to have faith in something, some sort of a higher power to help with the whole process. Because as we've said many times, and you know this, I'm preaching to the choir here, addiction is is physical, it's mental, 
and it's spiritual. And so all of those aspects have to be addressed when you get clean and sober. Right. And, and the other good news, Joni, is you can follow in the footsteps of individuals that have, have taken these pathways to recovery. You can speak to them. You could read about them. You know, you do your research. There are people that will graciously guide you through yep. each of these, yep. whether it's a mentor in a 12-step program, whether it's a physician or a therapist, whether it's a priest or a rabbi, whatever it is, the, again, endless amounts of help. But, you know, I, I, my, you know, I'm just appealing to replace the fear with the faith and try to dig down deep yep. um, and make that decision that you want to get well more than you want to get high. And I like that. And you are... You are the the most recent in a long line of interviews of people who are willing to help. So if nothing else, they can go back and look at listen to one of our episodes and reach out to those guys because pretty much everybody we talk to gives us their contact information. We put it on the video. We put it in the audio. And here's Robert, who's willing to do that. Robert, you wanted to make sure that I talked about your Twitter feed. Tell us what's your Twitter feed so people can find you. Sure. Um, it's media, M-E-D-I-A underscore, the symbol underscore Cantor, K-A-N-T-E-R. And if uh, people follow me, I'll follow back and then they can send me a message. And I am more than glad to, you know, this is my purpose, you know, the, more than glad to direct them. I'm not a physician, um, but I certainly have enough experience in recovery. I can share it with them and hopefully guide them. And, you know, you, they have a saying, you know, you save one life, you save the world. So that's why I'm here. You're awesome. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Robert. Thank you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thank you for listening. A great interview with a gentleman who is devoting his life to doing something about this pandemic and really educating people so as to make them aware of the fentanyl situation and also to help get rid of the stigma that still sits with the whole addiction pandemic. We'll be back again next week with another interview. Once again, uh, Robert's Twitter handle is media, M-E-D-I-A underscore Cantor, K-A-N-T-E-R. Have a great week. We'll be back again with another interview. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, reach out to us on Facebook or go to www.theaddictionpodcast.com. Our email is the Addiction Podcast at yahoo.com.